doing, I was doing something new and I knew I was kind of fulfilling something that I wanted to do as an 18 year old kid. And thing is like, if I had actually moved to New York when I was 18, I've made this joke a lot and I don't mean it in a hundred percent sincerity, but I do mean it in probably 50% sincerity that I might've died. <laughs> and the sense that if I had moved up to New York as an 18 year old kid, I know how irresponsible I was as an 18 year old, just moving a couple hours away for college. I was terrible with money. I, uh, yeah, I, so I had to, like you said this at one point that I had gone through all these trials to eventually get to New York and that's, I think I needed them. This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 24 of Epic Ordinary Lives, the podcast that views each and every life as though it were a hero's journey, because ultimately we are all the heroes of our own movie that's going on right now. And this week's guest is no different. This is my good old friend of many years, Jim Parker, who faced perhaps the most challenging situation of his life and turned, became an alchemist, you could say, of the most challenging set of circumstances to make a daring move to New York City that we talk about in detail. We dive into so many good things on this interview. We talk about our origin story of meeting early in college, at this point, like 12 years ago. And really, the, the conversation centers, I would say, on three main themes. The love of music and playing the guitar. His love of fashion and, and how he entered that world. And all of it is tied together with the larger theme of three of this really true hero's journey that he made that I'm not really going to spoil here in the opening. I, I, I really enjoyed this. We recorded this last December, and, and I hope you enjoy it. If you want to support Epic Ordinary Lives, then you have two choices. Number one you can go to epicordinarylives.com and click the Amazon banner at the top of the screen. This will take you to Amazon. So if you were ever going to buy something on Amazon, then this is a way to buy what you were going to buy anyway at the same price, and I get a small percentage back. Or equally deeply cherished, is writing a review on iTunes. I have surpassed the 10 reviews, which was a, a huge goal. I'm up to 12. If you write me a review, then you help me get closer to, to 20, which would be amazing. This has been a labor of love and something that I, I wanted to do forever. And now that I'm on the path, it 
man, it's it's uh, it's such an adventure to create a podcast, but it's also a lot of work. So if you do that, it helps me. Thank you. And thank you just for listening right now. So otherwise, let's let's dive right into this conversation with Jim Parker on Epic Ordinary Lives. We are here on West End Avenue on a lovely Thursday morning. I'm here with Jim Parker, who kind of hilariously was on the original iteration of this podcast that did not air. And we recorded like three or four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. At Shelby Bottoms. Yeah. Yeah. So welcome back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You were the first, uh, re- I, I won't even call it a return. Get- Maybe we will someday air that. I still have that <laughs> file, so there you go. Maybe that'll be a bonus. But yeah. um, you and I have been friends really since the beginning. All of the oldest friends that I have yeah. fit within a category, and you fit within, again, the oldest category. Oh, yeah. Like, again, I had friends in high school. Yeah. But we're all kind of scattered across America and not America. Yeah. And now here with you, I mean, 2005 had to have been when we met. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Do you remember kind of your original days in the dorm? Oh, yeah. I mean, I actually remember the day I met you. I was thinking about this. Um, <laughs> I was moving in. My, my roommate, Greg... Um, was there and we were, my mom was there too, I think. And we had no really idea what was going on. We were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. And other than each other, Greg and I didn't know anybody and just we're, we're hanging out and suddenly this like kind of jockey looking dude walks into the <laughs> walks into our room and says, hi, I'm, I'm Aaron Bertram. <laughs> and we're like, well, Hey, Aaron. And immediately I thought, I'm not going to be friends with this guy. And, uh, but that was my, my problem. And, uh, for the first like two months, I don't think I really hung out with anybody because I was going home every weekend, which is pretty, in hindsight, pretty lame, but that's what I was doing. Uh, and I think I started really hanging out with you and a few other people that you've interviewed around Halloween of 2005. Okay, this is exactly where Kevin talked about where he made yeah. that leap yeah, as well. <laughs> like the, the contest? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Like doing the, um, uh, decorating the um, the hallway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember I wasn't, I think I had a, I think I had a job or something and was working uh, while y'all were doing that, but I definitely remember coming back and it, and then just, that was from what I can remember when it clicked that we were all friends somehow. So, yeah. Yeah. The, a struggle, a, a shared struggle, yeah. like trying to win a, uh, Halloween yeah. hall contest. And just to give my initial days there, you know, I had said goodbye to my parents and they got in a plane and they flew to Germany. Yeah. And I guess wearing a black tank top was a scared 19 year old's way of dealing with the uncertainty. <laughs> you were talking about flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. You know, you knew no one save for your excellent roommate, Greg, yeah. by the yeah. way, Greg, I hope you're, I hope you're listening. Hope you're listening, buddy. <laughs> hope we can get it, get you on here someday. Please. But, 
I remember being scared and going and shaving and then putting on that tank top, I yeah. guess, because that's a good shirt for moving. Probably because when you're 19, you're like, Ugh, I'm nervous. Like, I guess I should have my gun shown. <laughs> I don't know. Probably <laughs> yeah. something stupid something like, like that. that. Yeah. But uh, it was just, again, it's exactly what you're talking about. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that contest uh, was one of those things where it's that shared identity. Our floor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. First uh, floor, man. Like that was that was I think what congealed it. Like we all lived there, but that was I think the thing that really started that bond, man. That's you know eleven years on. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. So, and people from such uh, different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Almost yeah. nobody had the same major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you were doing what was your you were doing uh, what pre like. Uh, elementary education. Yeah. Then you K had, through six. Had you declared? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had decided early on okay. by yeah. path, which of course has <laughs> changed greatly. Mm, but that's how it goes. Yeah. With that Halloween haunted house contest, do you remember what your? Because uh, we all had uh, scripted roles within this as people walked through, and mm. do you happen to remember what your? No, I I didn't have one. I I don't I didn't have one. I don't think because, like I said, I was I was the kid that was all like at work a lot on the floor. I think, and I know I was working then. Um, what I remember from that is I walked through because they would group up people and then let them in to walk through the the hallway and get scared and stuff. And I walked through with a group just to actually get to my dorm room <laughs> <laughs> and. I, I'll never forget Nate Fletcher being the plant in the group. We referenced this yeah. in the, yeah. Oh man. Cause I was in, the, and I just remember like the door opening and Nate doing a great job of screaming and acting scared. Um, and I think I ended up hanging out in the room that he would get pulled into. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think that's what I was, what I ended up doing. So yeah, but no, I didn't have a role. It took me, I guess a little while longer and this is pretty indicative of me in general of like warming up to everybody and stuff and being like full-fledged kind of uh, member of the group so yeah. well and and then when you did you you were right you were one of the like yeah <laughs> main key I, what I remember about you early on is um, playing the guitar in the hallway <laughs> like you yeah. you would lean your back against the wall drop to the floor and you would put out excellent <laughs> Music and uh, that was one of the, the my first. You had by the way, you had super curly, yeah. long, yeah. red locks as well. Yeah, man, it was a pretty distinctive looking guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you were you were the pale red, like super redhead dude that yeah. was, that was really good at guitar. Yep, that was me. And yeah. and so with that music, that was what you kind of entered uh, the dorm. At least in my view, it. However you want to go into it, because yeah. I do feel like you kind of have a cool story of how you kind of fell in love with music. Sure. Do you yeah. remember um, when I when I fell in? Was love? Was there a specific moment, or was it more of like a gradual? It wasn't. It, it's kind of odd. My my earliest memories of music, I actually don't personally remember. They are tapes of me that my mom recorded. 
singing along with records and I had like this plastic guitar um, and she would build like a little microphone stand for me out of building blocks and I'd grab my plastic guitar and she'd put on some country records and I'd sing along with like Buck Owens and stuff like Hot Dog that that Buck Owens song um, and I only you could just hear me like I didn't know any of the lyrics except for the chorus where he just keeps singing Hot Dog and I would sing that and you can hear like the plastic guitar had just like fishing line for uh for strings mm-hmm. so you can just hear the clicking of me like strumming away um so that was the i mean i guess it's always been there that kind of interest of playing performing music and that grew i remember in fifth grade the that was in my school system the end of uh elementary school and sixth grade became middle school and the, the middle school band teacher came to my class to to recruit people to be in the marching band. And he got me somehow. I was really, I was like, yeah, I want to do this. I was really stoked to play clarinet. And I went home and I was like, mom, this is what I want to do. And she, she denies ever saying this, but she said, you know, Jim, I just don't really think you're going to enjoy playing music. And wow. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she was wrong, and I kept bugging, I kept bugging her, and kept bugging her, and I had bugged my dad too for a long time uh, before he passed about like getting a guitar and stuff like that, and he would just tell me, "Oh, you're not old enough, you're not old enough," or something like that. Uh, and then in eighth grade, everybody kind of geared up for that uh, that kind of typical middle school. Washington DC trip and my mom was working but also going back to school and it was you know she was being, doing the single parent thing we didn't have a lot of money and she just gave me a choice she was like you can go on this DC trip or you can get a guitar for Christmas A or B and I chose B I think I chose well yeah <laughs> so yeah that was clicking that having a, a guitar in my hands I've since that day I've probably had one in my hands every day for the past 16 years so all the way back to pre-memory yeah well I mean like that was I even then I was I was wanting to do it so I somehow it's ingrained in me um not that I'm like a famous musician but it's just it's something that's been a part of me for a very long time and I feel like there are a lot of people with any kind of an interest where you know, there's this like, well, I, I need to work on this more. I need to spend more time in blank. And it doesn't sound like you need to motivate yourself to pick up a guitar. I have to, I have to demotivate myself, man, because it's like I get up in the morning and I make myself late for work because I have my guitar in the corner on the stand. It's really, I, I did it to myself where I, I knew I would play it more because it was so easily accessible. Right. Not, not up like in a closet in the case. Have it available yeah. if you want to use it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's become this issue where I'm like, I'm going to play for 15 minutes, just run scales or uh, work on the solo I've been working on or whatever. And the next thing I know, I've been playing for 45 minutes and I need to get on the train now <laughs> and I don't have any clothes on. So yeah. like, it's kind of, it, it's something that I like, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I need no motivation to uh, pick up a guitar. Absolutely not. And I feel like whatever that is, people would want that to be bottled up and sold into because that you can't 
you can't you can't quantify that yeah that kind of love and so is there anything else and I want to ask more music questions sure. but are, is there anything else in your life that has that kind of pull that you, it's almost like you don't even have a choice like you have to consciously if you have to consciously stop yourself from doing it that's like <laughs> an addiction in the best way like a, a yeah. positive addiction yeah I mean. We'll get into this later, I know, but uh, I work in the fashion industry and kind of the love of clothes has been, or like an a, attraction to them has been pretty ingrained in me too. And I don't know where it comes from. It's not, I mean, my mom says it all the time, like she doesn't get <laughs> why I'm really into clothes and I don't really understand it either. But I, I remember pretty early on, like my mom taught me my colors by... Uh, watching Wheel of Fortune and asking me what color Vanna White's dress was. So so I've paid attention to color and clothes pretty from pretty early on and then kind of the, the story I always tell is in first grade we had these we had like reading classes that were outside of the classroom. We would meet one on one with uh, like an assistant teacher or something and you were supposed to have uh, or like a paper reading folder. And the kind of the earliest clothing memory I have is one day, the only day I remember of that reading class, I was wearing uh, this Colorado Rocky shirt. Um, and I guess that's just because they had a bunch of them at Walmart. And that's <laughs> that's what I had on, right? And Colorado Rockies, I don't even know if they still use purple uh, in their logo, but they did at the time. So I had that on. Uh, and in the logo, it was purple, which matched my purple shorts, which matched my purple reading folder. And all of that kind of harmony together, there was something pleasing about it to me. I don't, I can't, I've never been able to articulate why or um, or anything else. Just I remember thinking, oh, wow, that's really, really cool. I really like this. A convergence of yeah. like, fluidity or something. Yeah, this kind of like harmony there mm -hmm. that... Uh, I don't know, and it's kind of grown and blossomed since then, uh, but that's, yeah, so that's the other thing. It's like yesterday when we were out out in the in the woods on Colton's thing, on Colton's property, we we saw that old jacket hanging in the barn, yeah. and I had to go look at it. Like, I needed to know, I, try, I was trying to figure out when it was made, I didn't see any tags that let me know, but... Like there was nothing was stopping me from going to look at this old jacket to see, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the other that's the other big one is clothes. So and that also speaks to the interesting personal nature of passions like that, yeah. where you when I go look at that, I see an old jacket that is kind of gross because that part's wet over there, and I'm like, oh, that looks old. Yeah. And you see a totally different thing, or you may see the exact same thing, but there's different things you're looking for. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I was trying to see. I I was assuming it was a made in America, which is kind of like a kind of an important thing for me. I was trying to find like a union tag um, to see maybe because they change over the decades and just see which decade that jacket would have been made in. Um, I couldn't find. Uh, they get it, some of it had rotted out and stuff, so I couldn't really see what was going on. But yeah, that was, and it's it's always men's clothes. It's never really been women's wear. That's uh, I get it. I like women in clothes and uh, and that kind of stuff. But 
that's never really, for some reason, been interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a, a really selfish thing. Like, I just like stuff that I can wear. Yeah, that applies to <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. But that that's, uh, yeah, that's the other one that draws me in a lot. So yeah. And again, these things date so far back that you were coordinating. I, I love the idea of coordinating your folder yeah. with what you're wearing. I've never... Uh, considered that even i mean it's not anything obviously that i'm doing now but it's uh uh yeah i guess i from early on i liked the idea of of some kind of thought in an outfit so yeah. well if we hold these two loves in in each hand in one hand we have music and another hand we have fashion and if you can just take us through what has your musical journey been because you mentioned earlier this is not what you do for a living you're not a professional musician and yet you you almost have to make yourself not put your hands on your guitar so i think that's an interesting place if somebody's right now 15 years old listening to this yeah anybody listens to this p.s but they could be listening to this and going i I either want to make it or why would i even do this Sure. And I hear with you, there's love for this and you can actually check out your Instagram to see, <laughs> to see more stuff. But yeah, yeah. what was, tell us about your, however you want to go about that with your, your musical journey. All right. So when we met, I was studying recording engineering at MTSU and basically, so we started college in 2005. Um, the record industry was already changing because of mp3 downloads right i mean i sound like an old man saying that but that at the time that was the big issue um it was like people weren't buying physical records uh and then you had a great like mtsu uh, is a great school but it's also massive and they were graduating so many people from the program that basically as soon as i got into my classes the professors would say you probably won't have a job when you graduate and that's pretty disheartening as like, because when you're growing up, our generation, and I really think this, like we were taught by our parents that, okay, all you need to do, you need to graduate high school, go to college, pick any major you want, just pick a major, and then you'll have a job. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how it works. And for them, I think maybe it did. But for us, that wasn't... Different wasn't, world. Different, different world. So that was 2005. Uh, I stuck with the recording industry stuff until like, 2007 and dropped out for several reasons but uh um dropped out and then like the financial crisis hit right so 2008 yeah yeah so that's kind of i i was like well i'm not i'm not going to be a recording engineer during that time i was kind of fooling around with being a singer songwriter but i kind of i mean found out that i'm only like passably good at the, the singing and the songwriting part of the singer-songwriter job. So that's, that's, uh, I, I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this. Passively good? Passively. Like, Passively, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, after that, I kind of just worked I, I, in, like, retail and uh, kind of tried to figure out what else I, I liked and I, you know, after a little bit, it was like, well, you, you like clothes, Jim. So maybe, maybe you can do something. Went back to school, uh, to get my fashion merchandising degree, same school, MTSU. And, uh, also kind of on the side, 
tried to play music still kind of as a hired gun. So between that time, like 2010 to 2014, I I played at like at churches, and then I I played in a jazz trio. I uh, played a little bit with this pop country singer who had been on American Idol. So I just did like a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and that was that's kind of I was in a band for a minute that I fronted, and uh, so it was always kind of like my my side thing mm-hmm. that became my 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 side gig. Um, yeah. And so now in New York, it's still my side thing. And I'm, I'm just, you know, occasionally, uh, playing with people, uh, and that's, that's that. So it's kind of become music has morphed somewhat, um, into my, that thing that you go to when you're stressed out about work. And that's, uh, that's kind of, it's funny that you mentioned like if there's a 15 year old kid listening to this, uh, uh, thinking like I want to make it or I don't want to do it. That was my attitude at 15. I, I distinctly remember having this conversation with my mom and I was like, you know, I'm just, I, I, I progressed pretty quickly at guitar to a, a decently high level. And I, I knew it and I was like, Oh man, I'm really good at this. And, prodigy yeah no yeah and i was like well no my well my mom was like no not a prodigy but uh <laughs> you're you're good um and i want you to keep working on it and i was like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna be a rock star and she was like well you know even if you you don't you always have this kind of this hobby that you love that you can take with you and at the time i was like well that's lame <laughs> But yeah. now it's like, oh, no, that's that's what it is right now. So, now it's yeah. a great lifeboat. Yeah. When that's exactly it, man. Yeah. You know, Logan talked a lot about uh, two episodes ago about the notion of what doing what you, if you do what you love is a primary like money thing. It can get dicey because you've put pressure on this thing that you love, and and he was big about with the knives that he makes, like making that your. Side gig is perfect because if you want to walk away, you can walk away, yeah. take a break. If you want to grind for 14 hours on it because you've hit a flow and you're in a flow state and you can, you don't even know a sense of time anymore, um, but not doing the thing, that, which is kind of counter to the culture right now, which says, you know, find your passion. Yeah. Go, yeah. And, but, it, you know, at the same time, you, you sort of have always sort of to a certain extent followed passion when it go, comes to your careers, yeah. Um, yeah, not that retail was a passion, but those were a means to an end. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll we'll move to fashion, but was there, you know, c- clearly you had a skill set that allowed you, because you named off your resume of who you played with, yeah. jazz quartet, yeah. a, a singer, a country. I mean, so what was that like playing in such a variety of different settings? Well, I mean, for me, it's the... it's it's perfect it i um i like so many genres and i am and more specifically i like playing so many genres that if i were just stuck playing like if i were just stuck in an acdc cover band i would enjoy it because acdc is awesome and people love it uh and that's fun it's fun to play but it's like playing jazz is a different mental space than playing pop country 
or or ham-fisted rock uh, or metal or and I've done all those things uh, and I like kind of stretching myself uh, to kind of think about it that way like jazz um, the stuff I was playing it was you know it was uh, a vocal trio so um, guitar piano and vocals and so we weren't doing anything too sophisticated um, no free jazz or anything like that occasionally like bop kind of stuff would be the most complicated but jazz just has such a, a rich vocabulary that's kind of different than other genres that it's fun to like jump into that and kind of make your mind stretch with the math but then it's also really nice occasionally you want to eat a piece of candy which for me is like playing three chords and like you know yelling your head off yeah in a punk band or something yeah so uh it's i feel like you kind of need all of that or i do i need all of that um to be happy like right now I'm playing with this guy in New York who's a, a kind of a he he writes pop songs, but then he also uh, in his gigs he likes to do uh, jazz standards like Gershwin and stuff like that. Oh, cool! Yeah, so that's uh, and sometimes like show tunes, and uh, so that's kind of that's been fun, just like doing that kind of stuff. And then I you know I was also in a uh, a band up there that's defunct now that's kind of it was like uh 80s 80s kind of like police and like phil collins sounding (laughs) yeah so different stuff and it was uh, i don't know i need that so you're a smorgasbord yeah guitar player jack of all trades jack of all trades yeah and uh it sounds like you like the discomfort absolutely man yeah of of it like the ironically the (laughs) <laughs> the, the the lack of perhaps knowing exactly how to do it like you said stretching yeah i mean that's the that's how i learn the best even though it kind of sucks it's like making mistakes i mean right. a lot Failure. of people yeah a lot of people do but i know that i do i just don't always want to make mistakes i i take them really badly i if i make a mistake i'm 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 not gracious about it i'm not graceful but i uh in the end i turn out better whether it's like i made a huge flub during a guitar solo or uh or relationship failed i somewhere along the way i, I learned something so yeah. well th- this is very interesting though right because on one hand you actively seek out situations that stretch you yeah. that are going to put you in an arena that perhaps you're not as comfortable yeah whether you're doing pop country or what type of jazz bop yeah, like bebop. Yeah, and yet at the same time, someone might hear that and go, "Oh, you know, he's just a guy that is kind of more callous about his failures. He's less worried about that." <laughs> and yet, you just admitted that you're you take them extremely hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think what happens is I, uh, um, I get a little hard headed about it. I make a mistake, and I'm like, "Well, I'm not going to do that again," even though experience has shown me that I'm going to do it like three or four times before I, I get it right. But, Repetition. Yeah. But I, I get really, it just motivates me to work harder. If I make a make a mistake, that's that's where it is. It's not like I immediately pick up like, oh, this is the solution to that problem that I got wrong the first time. It's like, I just want to work harder to get it right. So, yeah. In any area of life? Um, most areas. If I, if I think it's like worth my time, I don't know. Like I'd, 
um, I suck at baseball and I don't, I'm not out there right. at batting practice. Right. <laughs> you do not have dreams of dunking over LeBron. I mean, I had dreams of dunking over Michael Jordan, but LeBron, no. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, hey. You know, that yeah. was, I was, as a kid, I did want to be an NBA player, but I stopped growing pretty early. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. So with music, did you ever have a period of mourning where you, because at one point you were like, I either want to do this for a living or not? And did, was there ever a period of sadness over the fact that this was going to be like a beloved side gig? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's, it's still like there's a twinge occasionally mm-hmm. of like, oh man, if I had made different choices, where would I be right now? But I think anybody at our age probably has those same thoughts about something. <laughs> yeah, whether or not it's music. There, there Definitely there was a period... Um, then you knew me during it. I don't know how much you knew that I was kind of going through that, but um, I'd say probably 2008-ish, 2009, I was having like really bad writer's block trying to write songs, and I was just like, what's happening? Because they used to come easier, and it's not, and I want to be playing gigs, but I don't have that many songs to play what's going on and it was also just a time of kind of like aimlessly wandering through life I didn't really have a direction so I'd quit school I was just working at Walmart um and I was like nothing was going on and yeah like picking up a guitar for a while became this thing like it was painful instead Mm. of yeah it was like man I like I, I didn't stop playing. I still played probably every day, but it was just like when I would, I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I was like trying to force like something. Um, yeah, so I definitely, there was a mourning period for it. And it, do you think, and obviously we can guess, and yeah. but like when it comes to, um, were you putting more pressure on it? You, you know, is that why the, the well dried up Absolutely. I, I really I really think so. I was really trying to force a song, to force a like a big hook or um That's housekeeping. That's uh, housekeeping. No, oh, we're okay. okay. Thank it's you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to housekeeping. Thank you, McWilina. Anyway, uh that's actually my housekeeper's home oh. in New York, so <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to McWilliam. Yes. Anyway, yeah. Well, it sounds like that could apply to any number of things in life, right? Like forcing anything, but it's something so common you can get into when you want something. Yeah, yeah. I really, you know, I talk with um, like clothing designers and stuff. They have to produce a line twice a year. They like it's they produce a line of clothes and. some of them work where they have big concepts behind that. Some of them don't. They're just like, well, I, this is what I want to make this season. But either way, they work really hard on that line for, let's say, fall, winter 2017 or something. And then as soon as that's done, they're like, they don't, they get to celebrate a little bit. And then they have to work on this next line. And it's like, eventually, yeah, you have to start forcing, okay, well, this is my next new concept. And, sometimes it's not it's not true like you have to keep forcing like this love of something 
that maybe isn't there. Like suddenly you you know you're like oh I really love the way people dress in Dubai and this is uh, so that's what my clothing collection is on. But it, if you're I don't know uh, if that's not I mean if you if you grew up in New England you don't really know anything about this right. So it's not this innate love. It's just something that you're trying to force it for a product. And that's that's where I was, I think, in that instance of uh, of trying to force some songs really just to get out and and play them and maybe try to make something happen. I was just trying to trying too hard. Yeah. And yet now, when you pick up the guitar, th- there's not pressure on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and, and the love yeah, comes so flowing. It's, it's much much easier, man. It's yeah. It's like now it's easier for me to find things to work on too. Like, well, lately I've been, uh, getting into like classic country and like hot country kind of guitar, like, like Chet Atkins on up to like Brad Paisley and those guys that just, uh, like Danny Catton that just shred, but in a very different sense than like, metal which is what first like i first learned as a 15 year old kid was like old old metal music and it's like well this is this whole new vocabulary that i can learn that's good yeah and it sounds like you don't have you're you're not very judgy about where you go looking because some people might uh have this sense of brad paisley not being legit enough for any kind of a pop thing we're not just talking about country but it sounds like you are very open-minded when it comes to anybody's style yeah absolutely man i think there's i i can usually learn something from any song that i listen to something uh whether it was like oh wow i like how they set up that chorus or oh man that little guitar lick at three minutes is amazing i can find something to like in just about anything so I had two English teachers in my life that were huge for me. One in high school who was super hardcore, who made you a better writer, like in a training montage in Rocky, <laughs> where you break the house down. You go, no, you're not. A, you're not a good writer. Like this yeah. is just not good. Yeah. Um, what's that movie Whiplash that came yeah, out? Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't see that, but I would assume it, it's yeah. kind of similar. Like kids that had never gotten such low grades for their writing were suddenly getting annihilated. Mm -hmm. Some of them freaked out and probably pulled out of the class, but those that stayed, you know, she helped us rebuild the house and we saw ourselves get better and better. Yeah. Um, But she did have these very like specific things she considered literary and thus, you know, kind of more, I don't know, I guess valuable, more Mm. valid, more legit. And things that were more fluff. Yeah. And then I had another English teacher who kind of helped me evolve that mentality because she said everything, all the way down to the mystery novel, all the way down to the episode of Law and Order, all the way up to Mark Twain, Citizen Kane, whatever it is, they're all in some way trying to get at this human experience yeah. that we're. So there's some essence of what we're all going through that's embedded in this and thus it's valuable even if it's pop. Yeah. 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 Which really brings me, I've been talking and probably if, if anyone has listened this far, they're tired of hearing about Joseph Campbell and the hero's <laughs> journey. But again, you have had a hero's journey both with th- this music thing, which has evolved. And then mm. now 
if you can take us on the path of fashion for you and kind of where this is like kind of chapter probably 1,432 for you, <laughs> but this really feels like chapter two or three maybe yeah. in your trajectory. So yeah. what take us there. Sure. So um, as I said, I was studying recording engineering, dropped that, went back to school for fashion merchandising. Kind of in between those two things, I, uh, I got married. And um, that was kind of the one of the final pushes out of the music thing was like, okay, I have somebody else that's not my responsibility, but I do have to kind of provide for them, mm-hmm. for them right? And so I finished my degree, and as I was finishing that, I started working for a few different places. One of them was a uh, like a, uh, a liquidation company. Um, cause basically like big, big stores at the, even after they've gone to like 70% off for the season at the end of that season, they're, they're going to have merchandise left over and that has to go somewhere. And so clothing liquidators will buy that and then sell it like super cheap. Like TJ Maxx, like, uh, TJ Maxx. But even I worked for a company called UAL, which bought like, uh, more designer pieces like higher end stuff than TJ Maxx. But they bought them super cheap and then sold them just slightly more expensive than what they bought them for. So um, anyway, that was a cool. I kind of got to see behind the curtain of like I, I wanted to work in higher end stuff, but I got to see like the very end point, like where all that stuff uh, went. And it's kind of <laughs> where it goes to die. Yeah, basically. And it, it's like it was a really good process because it's like you get to this point where it, Every season when this, the new of, of fashion more than just about any industry is all about the new. Every season, sometimes three or four times a year, you have this new product that everybody is behind and you need to push. But then when you cycle down to the very bottom, which is where I was, I, I saw like these pieces that six months ago had been that new thing, that mm. really expensive new thing, like not even folded, just wadded and thrown in a cardboard box because you needed it gone. You needed wow. it to make to make room for the new new thing, and so it like kind of it gives you some perspective. You're it's like a the idea that like all of this is ephemeral and it it doesn't uh, at some point it won't matter too much. Like so, it kind of gave me a sense of like uh, I really like this stuff but I'm not saving lives, right? I'm not, I'm not, and I'm making money, I'm doing stuff that I like, I'm working with clothes, but I'm also, like, I can, there's a layer, uh, at a certain point, I can say this doesn't matter, I could put it down. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay to just, like, let that go. And for some people in my industry, I don't think they can do that. And the, the industry as a whole, I don't think, wants the people working for it to do that. Like they want oh, it to, sure. it, yeah, it's all, it's this constant pressure. And for me, it's something that I battle and it's important to me to just like be able to set it aside. Right. So I got to see the end point. Uh, and then I started also interning at a kind of a classic men's store in Nashville, J Michaels. And that was a really, really good learning experience for me. I was into men's clothing, but I was into the stuff that's like, that shows up in GQ, um, and on blogs and stuff that's like really new and really, really trendy. And then I got this education kind of in like business wear of like, 
this gentleman that makes a lot of money doesn't really care about your really skinny pants. In fact, he's probably offended by them. What he wants is he wants to buy 10 Navy suits right now to wear to board meetings. And that's important. <laughs> and you need to take that seriously too. So I got to kind of learn that industry. There's a whole kind of section of the industry dedicated to those types of shops, um, brands that don't show up anywhere really in, in fashion magazines that are you know making millions of dollars through independent stores throughout the country. And uh, that's kind of where I started picking up that love of, of craftsmanship of, okay, if this is going to be a, a $4,000 suit, it can't just have a sweet label in it. It can't be some designer you know. It needs to be made incredibly well. Um, and so that kind of sent me down this path of like learning about clothing construction. I tried a little bit of, of tailoring myself and I failed and that's okay, but it gave me this idea of like, wow, that shirt is handmade. I know how many hours that took because I know it would take me three times as long. So right. <laughs> yeah, um, so that's why it's expensive. So that kind of led into J. Michaels opened a, a slightly younger aimed store called Haymakers. Um, I did more there, did some of the buying and worked there for a while. All the while, I kind of had my eye on this one shop uh, that was based in Hong Kong called The Armory. And to me, it was like a lot of the things that I really liked about the clothing industry in one place. And I wasn't the only one thinking that. Um, a lot of people started paying attention to it, but only in this like really small niche market of like uh, clothing forum dorks and, and that kind of stuff. But that's they were getting a lot of attention there and I was looking at their photos cause they were doing some really cool social media stuff. And, um, so all the while I was taking influences from them, trying to put them into the store I worked for. Fast forward a little bit, I got divorced and started thinking that maybe I didn't want to be in Nashville anymore, which, you know, was kind of a change, uh, in mindset, but it was, it was cool. Cause I always, I thought, yeah, Nashville is where I'm going to end up because I've always loved this city. Um, but then I took a trip to New York and it reignited that uh, these memories of like, oh yeah, when you were 18 and visited New York for the first time, you really wanted to live there. Now you, you're on your own again, which sucks. At that time it was terrible. It was really, right. you know, it was emotionally really bad, but it was like, you have this chance now to kind of reset and go do something that you wanted to. And so I took like a kind of a, uh, a scouting mission to New York just to kind of feel it out and see, could I live here? Do I know anybody? Um, and I went to the armory and actually met everybody there. And then even there was a, a fashion designer whose clothes we carried at Haymakers that I was supposed to meet in New York, but I missed him. And then I walked into the armory and there he was because he was really good friends with the store manager. So I walked up to Antonio and I was like, hey, man, I'm Jim. I work at the store in Nashville. We carry your stuff. Before, let's pause just real quick because I want to set the stage. Yeah. Because I've always wondered, you've told me this story and I want to speak to the fact that you, so you're, you're like a phoenix, right? You're, <laughs> you're, the ashes are all around you. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to think of a movie image that really speaks to that. But you, you're, maybe Shawshank Redemption again. Mm. You're crawling. You're in the stage of crawling through the pipes. Yeah. And you, you take this trip, and you miss this meeting that was important. Yeah. And then you you decide to go to this place that uh, is is armory in any way? Because it's very interesting. I'm seeing parallels between your music adventure of. Yeah. Your GQ focus at the beginning of fashion, more of kind of the hot right off the presses. Then you grow to love this other side of the coin of just deep, well-made, good stuff. Yeah, You broaden it so you're kind of dancing in multiple arenas there. Mm. And then here you are in the rising from the ashes. What is going through your head before you walk into Armory? Because this is like a holy grail to you at this point kind of maybe it's a little yeah, yeah. dramatic but um yeah i mean a lot was going through my head i actually walked i walked from where i was staying in brooklyn and actually it's the apartment i live in now oh wow <laughs> yeah 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 so that like that has a little it's a cool emotional connection because i kind of decided on that trip and in kind of in that apartment that i live now that i wanted to move to new york and i'm there it's like kind of this weird thing where i I was starting to set in my mind things I wanted to do, and pretty much all of them have happened, which is cool. <laughs> um, that was a lesson learned, right? And um, so I walked from Brooklyn to Tribeca, where the Armory is, which is a long walk, a um, couple miles, and over a bridge. And it was a weird thing because I'd been to the Armory one other time on my wedding anniversary with my ex at the time we were still together mm. and that was my first time there and I kind of you know I had a really good time and I bought a tie and yada 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 and we'd like there's a park out front of the armory we had sat there together right right so it was like there was all this emotional stuff happening and I'm like walking into the store just thinking like this you know nothing's going to happen like you know nothing can happen here right and then yeah that was it I I walked in um I had a reference from this uh, this menswear writer, Bruce Boyer. Bruce, if you ever hear this, thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you are interested in menswear, by the way, just read some stuff by Bruce Boyer. He's great. But I'd met him one time in Nashville, and I wrote him. And I said, hey, Bruce, I'm thinking about moving to New York. Do you have any suggestions of where I could work? And he said, well, I don't know any openings, but I love the Armory, and you should go talk to them. And so I walked in. There's this fashion designer that I kind of knew because I carried his product. I said, hey, Antonio, um, nice to meet you. <laughs> I, You know, funny seeing you here. Uh, and he was like, oh, you should meet Nick, the store manager of the Armory. And I was like, hey, Nick. After a little bit of talking, I was like, honestly, man, uh, an acquaintance of mine, Bruce Boyer, sent me here to see if you had a job opening. And... Because I knew Antonio, because I knew Bruce, like I, I was connected, and I met like everybody in the store that day. Like every somehow, every person in the store was working that day, and they came up and said hi, and I made a good impression. But they didn't offer me a job. But it was just like this. I felt coming out of the store, something had changed. Wow. Yeah. I, my entire outlook, kind of, had changed in the sense that. I hadn't, I had failed that day, I didn't get a job, but I had made all these connections just by doing what I wanted to do, <laughs> like pursuing... Not what the quote-unquote smart, perhaps, thing... Yeah, because I mean, like, let's be honest, I was just going to 
getting other retail job. That's that's what I was applying for. But for me, it was like the the top of the the list, upper echelon of of retail jobs, and, and for me, it still is like it's the uh, the pinnacle of, of this type of store that I really respect with some people that I respect and admire. And so I walked out and I like, I called my mom and I was like, I'm moving to New York. I don't know how, but I've made all these cool connections. This is what's happening. And so I, I came back to Nashville, um, kind of grinded through a couple months working here, trying my best to figure out how to get to New York and somewhere along the way I I found a job listing for somewhere else um, and I went back to New York in July of last year to to do buying for haymakers but I got that job that I'd applied for online so that was I was like this is it. I am moving to New York. I so in other words, you got a job in New York that was not... Uh, not at the Armory. Not at the Armory, but yeah. you did. You applied. You got it. So I'm I'm walking around with this extra boost of confidence. Just like, I'm doing this. You've got something. I've got, like, they're going to pay me well. Like, I'm definitely more than enough to live in New York. I've got it. It's done. This is happening. And then I went to go, I, there's this brand at the Armory that I really wanted for Haymakers, and I had set an appointment to go see that brand. And funny enough, Nick, the old store manager of the Armory, was now working for that brand because the Armory handles the, the distribution of it in the U.S. So there's Nick, and I'm like, hey man, how's it going? And I'm like starting to look through the product. And when you, when you're doing a buy, you, sometimes you'll you'll place an order that day. You'll be like, yeah, I'll take these, 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 and these. But a lot of times, what you do is you you note things. You say, okay, I like this, I like this, I like this. Send me photos of it, um, and I'll put together a size around for you. When do you need the order? Like, because you know you're throwing around uh, like tens of thousands of dollars. Sometimes you need to like think on it for a minute. Sure, and, and you're buying for a store. Yeah, you're picking brands and specific uh, items that you're yeah. gonna sell. Yeah, and also at this point, I've already accepted the job in New York, so the items that I'm like looking at that day, I will never see in Haymakers because I'm not gonna be there. Right. Sorry, Miranda, Mike, and Jim. <laughs> um, anyway, I I'm talking to Nick, and I'm like, these are the notes, and he's like, hey, do you are you you know, are you still looking to move to New York? Because he knew I was. And I was like, yeah, man, actually, I just got a job today. Um, <laughs> and he's like, oh, so you you won't be at Haymakers to sell ring jacket? And I said, no. And he was like, okay, well, I may have something for you. And that is uh, how I got my job at the Armory, <laughs> which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, and to go back to this classic, I, one of the things I like doing is looking at how epic people's lives are, if you look really closely. So yeah. think about the fact that you are on that first, or I guess in this case, the second trip to the armory where yeah. you're you're on this trip, this scouting trip, and you don't have anything. Yeah. And you're recalling these uh, childhood wishes, this call to yeah. New York, this pull to New York. Yeah. 
And but you have to go through some trials to get there. You have to yeah. go to an old place with ghosts of a yeah, previous absolutely. life that is now burned and and broken and yet you have to walk through that. You could there could have been any number of reasons why you didn't do it. You were tired. You whatever. It's too big. It's too yeah. ambitious. And you walked through these harsh areas. You yeah. walked in and you just kind of swung for the fences. And that feeling that when you walked out, you felt you felt it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like yeah. a, a switch had yeah. been flipped. Yeah, that's the that's the the thing that people should be able to bottle and sell, man. You'd make so much money on the feeling that I had when I walked out that day, because it was like it was a, a like the first click of like true healing or something. Mm-hmm. Just, it was good. And a direction, a path has been perhaps laid in front of you. And you talked about being in New York and being in the apartment that you now live in, which is crazy. You've manifested (laughs) this life that you were once looking at uh, as a conceptual thing. You you was not real. You were staying over there. And you you talk about where you kind of had this decision. You were like, Okay, I'm gonna do that. Like, I need to do this. Yeah. So, what did that look like? Was was that just like a very clear sensation? Was it a feeling? Was it just like take us through that? Because I think a lot in life we we fill the pool of certain actions or people or whatever, and sometimes we say no to that pull yeah. or we rationalize that pull. And this isn't saying that you should be stupid. You know, look at all yeah. these things that you did. To make sure you had a job before you moved, to be very careful. But what did that? Uh, fe- what did that look like? That where you made you were like, I- I'm gonna do it. <laughs> um, I, man, that's. It looked like. Um, well, I looked like a, probably like a when I made the decision, even though nothing was happening. But I like I made the choice it was i looked like probably a, a grinning fool like seriously and i think just what it was was like there was this this weight of i had all this crap that had gone on in my life in the the six months prior or whatever and it was like really heavy emotional stuff i was in therapy i was i was doing i, I was like in therapy i was drinking too much i was kind of like in this weird dark space mm-hmm. and then I like when I decided that I was gonna like kind of break out of that. It wasn't like it was. It was like a a weight had been lifted in the sense that I, I had something else to do. <laughs> you know, um, like a, a choice had been made that uh, I knew was gonna affect my life, but in a Maybe in a good way, you know. Well, so, there's that question mark aspect too. The not, oh, yeah, yeah. the not knowing can be such an exciting part. Yeah, of that. yeah, yeah. I was doing, I was doing something new, and I knew I was kind of fulfilling something that I wanted to do as an 18 year old kid. And thing is, like, if I had actually moved to New York when I was 18, I've made this joke a lot, and I don't mean it in a hundred percent sincerity, but I do mean it in probably fifty percent sincerity that I might have died. <laughs> in the sense that if I had moved up to New York as an 18-year-old kid, I know how irresponsible I was as an 18-year-old just moving a couple hours away for college. I was terrible with money. I, uh, yeah, I, 
so I had to get, like you said this at one point, that I had gone through all these trials to eventually get to New York. And that's, I think I needed them. Whether or not, like, I, I definitely didn't know that at 18. I thought I was ready. I, no, <laughs> definitely not. So and That good. can be such a good thing about in life when we have these things that we want and we feel like we haven't done them. Yeah. Or we, we have dreams and we're like, you feel this sense of failure and, and what I always it's just regret, plain, yeah. uh, harsh regret, yeah. which is one of the, the hardest things. And and then when you, you realize later that some of the dark places that you were walking were just where you, you had to be. Like yeah. you, you had to go through that trajectory because now you are that person who yeah. can do it. Yeah. Uh, in, and to take it back to the classic hero's journey, which I need to read more on, so I'm not just like... <laughs> as a tourist of this stuff, but th- there's often the imagery of going into the underworld first, right? Yeah, Before right. you come out, you got to go through. Yeah. The only way out is through. And you mentioned, you know, now you, you have this job, you've crossed off all these things off of your list. Yeah. 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 How do you determine next after you've gone on this miraculous, insane, really, in a year's time. I mean, what, <laughs> yeah. something like that, right? A year and a half, something yeah, yeah, like yeah. Life looks almost nothing like... Yeah, I mean, like, if you... If if my my life in, like... Let's just put a, a pin of, like, July of 2014 versus where I am right now, yeah, it's completely different. It's a completely different thing. And if you... Professionally, in July of 2014... Uh, if you asked me to make a list of what I wanted to do in menswear, I, I things that I would put on there, um, I'm gonna cross off the the next the last one next month. And, and what is that? That's I mean I'm going on a buying trip to to Italy to Pidiuomo and uh, you know with with the dudes from the Armory and uh, you know I hear rumors that you know the, uh, some dudes from GQ are gonna follow us around and take photos and. If I could tell myself that in July of uh, of 2014, that gym would go insane. He would just <laughs> he would lose his shit. Just be like, "What? Excuse yeah. me? No, yeah, yeah." And so inconceivable, now, inconceivable. And now, what two two and a half years from that? Yeah, it's it's done, <laughs> which is pretty cool. It's pretty. It's a good feeling, man. Oh yeah, and let's just take a moment to honor the fact that you're going to be in GQ. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I know somebody that's going to be in GQ. So like, there we I'm, go. I'm beating my <laughs> chest right now like a Viking. But um, what's how, so you, you've learned a lot about. And, and you you know there's a lot of luck involved too but yeah, you've yeah, gone you've you've done things you've gotten things done yeah right people sometimes find themselves unable to get things done and you have mm. and you've crossed things off so how do you determine what's next that's the I, I, I don't know I, that's the that's the big question I think it's really like kind of I mentioned like if I if I had made a list, I definitely mentally made a list when I was uh, two and a half years ago, three years, four years ago of what I wanted to do, and I think it's important to actually set those goals. Like I I work a big part of my job is sales, and I have a, a few sales guys underneath me, and I found that by setting 
goals for them. And this sounds all cliche, like everybody knows this, but I, by setting some kind of goal for them, they have a purpose. And I think that, and and sales guys typically, if they're uh, naturally uh, are competitive people, Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're numbers driven. So if you give them some numbers to go for, they're going to, and if you challenge them a little bit, they'll try to crush it. Like they'll try to make you look like a fool. Like, Oh, you wanted me to sell only a hundred thousand. I'm going to do 150, that kind of thing. So I think it's important. It is for me to actually at least mentally make a list of what I want to do. Tangible. Yeah. 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 Like, and some of the stuff can be outlandish. Like, or can be seemingly outlandish because this sounds ridiculous, but the life I'm living right now to 2014 gym does seem outlandish, but it's really not. It's just my life now. And I think that's, that's definitely important to me. And I think if you, yeah, if you're feeling stuck, that's, that's what you have to do. And then, okay, you've got these goals. Then you have to kind of set sub goals of like, all right, well, I'm not going to, say move to New York tomorrow but what are some things that I can do to make that happen if I really want it there you go I I love that because you can get lost in this nebulous kind of I'm going to be a rock star or I am going to move to New York if you and you didn't say don't do that you know you didn't do the classic old folks talking what are you how are you gonna make a living like you need to but you you did both yeah. Both tangible. What is the next steps right now? Yeah. And then, and, and then what's next? I'm not even going to claim that I, I've always been good at that. I, I've not always been good at setting, like, I've always been good at setting those, like, really outlandish goals. Right. But then it took me a long time to figure out, oh, crap, well, okay, I'd have to figure out the steps in between. And that's up to me. I think actually this whole experience of like having a marriage fail and deciding to pick up my life and go somewhere else and all that stuff has taught me that. And it, it works in like everyday life too. I'm not always good at it, but it's like set a goal of like, I'm, I'm going to, uh, cook, uh, five meals this week. Right. right? So then it's like, you got to set the goals of like, well, what am I going to, how do I get there even? Yeah. So, and you've already given great advice for this type of a situation, but what, any additional advice, because somebody could be listening to this and they have found themselves getting their butt kicked in small and great ways, uh, you know, everything from maybe greater than even what we're talking about, but any additional, cause you did go from again, drinking too much. Yeah not really knowing where you were headed next to cooking in a apartment <laughs> in New York city, doing the job that you had set out to get. So yeah. any additional advice for when, you know, it's, it's that great Theodore Roosevelt, the, the man in the arena, when you get yeah. knocked down, yeah. any more advice for that person who's knocked down or the woman in the arena? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sure. I mean, if you're knocked down, I think uh, I think it was important for me to actually allow myself to uh, be knocked down for a little bit. Like that was, and it depends, like if you didn't cook five meals in a week, you only cooked four, 
don't wallow in, in self-pity there, right? Like, it's okay. We just do it next week. Yeah, you kind of killed it, too, by yeah, the way. If you yeah. were not cooking one. Yeah, yeah. If you if you did four, you got to, yeah, that's still good. Um, but certain things are definitely in, in your life are just going to really knock you on your ass. And sometimes you have to sit there afterwards. Like, you, mm. you have to, you have to. Like, your, your body and your mind just can't process what just happened to you. And whether it's actual like uh, physical trauma and your body's in shock, like it's it's literally it doesn't know what's just happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the same with your mind, it's at least mine. Like sometimes it's like oh, I I don't even understand what what's happened here. Uh, so like cut yourself some slack, and I I I struggle with that too. Of like if something bad happens, I want to power through it immediately. But you can you can take a little bit of time, and it's different for everybody. Um, and I'm not going to tell you like, okay, if you get a divorce, you have this much time before you need to get off. Follow these steps. That's right. No, I don't. I've got the key to, yeah. Yeah. I have, I don't even know where the steps are, man. Like on, on that one. Um, but then it's kind of like, um, maybe let yourself, I think the, the, let yourself kind of dream a little bit. Um, for me, it was like, for a while, I had um, some friends of mine here. Before I moved to New York, we kind of planned opening a, a menswear store here, uh, like a competitor to where I was working. Wow! Yeah, it didn't happen because we we didn't get funding, and then they moved away. Um, but allowing myself to like kind of dream a little bit like that's cause it's a big undertaking to open a store, allowing myself to do that. And like, th- think about kind of, all right, this is what I want to do. Here are the steps to get there. Like that prepared me to start again, like thinking, all right, uh, okay, that's not going to work now. I, okay. But moving to New York can work. So it was kind of the idea of like, I let myself, I kind of had to sit for a while and just be sad. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, I've sat and I've been sad. Now I'm going to hopefully, I'm still sad, but I want to think about something else. So, and even in that, like, you can still be kind of in that dark space, but looking for the way out. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to take some time. Like in a threshold space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we, as if we're like, I guess, blocks of stone, we need to be carved down into whatever embryonic next step we are. And you just have to wait and let yourself be sculpted. Yeah. Yep. And that sculpting process does hurt. Hey, it (laughs) looks like it hurts on rock if rock can feel. Yeah. Yeah. um, And thus it does with us. Yep. Well, you, you've, you've, I mean, again, you've had a truly awesome adventure with that. <laughs> and I want to go to a lighter area yeah, of it. advice with fashion because uh, <laughs> you, you are, you've done years of men's fashion. Yeah. Do you have one, two, maybe three tips? Obviously, fashion is so specific. To, well, I'm going to let you go wherever you want with that. Okay. Three fashion tips for a guy between the age of whatever range you want to give. Okay. For me, the I'm, I I mostly just deal 
with like, guys who are like professionals who you know of a, of a certain age between like 25 and 50 right that's a big range but still that's kind of what i deal with right sure i think i was kind of thinking about this before before we started my first uh piece of advice is like really figure out if it applies to you like some guys worry a lot about fashion and they don't have to and i know this because they like when I'm introduced to, to men and they, and they find out that what I do, like they're, they immediately, almost all of them make some kind of self-deprecating joke of like, Oh, well, you know, you know, maybe you could teach me a few things and stuff like that. And it's like, dude, you, uh, you're a carpenter. And I think that's awesome. Like you don't have to, (laughs) you don't, it doesn't really apply to you. Like you, you don't have to know, like what the difference between like a Milanese and a Neapolitan suit is like, unless you, unless you're just like interested. In yeah. That. Like, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you and that's okay. Like, so that's, that's my, my first tip. Just really think about like, okay, do I, do I need to worry so much about this? Cause people have so many other things to worry about. If then you do decide, yeah, I need to, I need to worry about this. I my advice is to focus on buying a few pieces that are well made uh that are kind of basic like uh, buy the best navy or dark gray suit that you can afford if you just have one that's cool because it's going to get you through like if you don't wear a suit every day you can have one and you can wear it to weddings funerals job interviews and then like a, a really swanky dinner bam so do that, but really just focus on fewer quality pieces, which is like the inverse of what my some of my job is, which is to tell you to buy a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, just fewer basic pieces. You'll get a higher return on investment for yeah. one excellent charcoal yeah, suit than flashy. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because your, your well-made charcoal suit if you gain a little bit of weight can be altered to still fit you or if you lose a little weight or um, if you if a seam kind of comes open it can be repaired easily uh, yeah so do that uh, and then finally I'd say if you you find that you're really the, the being aware of men's clothing does apply to you and you've got the basics covered it is really okay to kind of experiment because uh, people like to float this idea of like, and I'm one of them because I for where I work of like classic men's style, and guys kind of get like really caught up in that. I find once they start like down the rabbit hole of clothing of like, ah oh, crap, would you know Paul Newman wear this or would uh, uh, Agnelli wear this or you know would the uh, the Prince of Wales would he wear this? Would he have worn this? And the answer is probably not because he doesn't live in 2017. So it's okay to kind of like experiment. I, I do it um, because eventually you start to kind of hone in on what you like and don't like. And you can do that. You can spend a lot of money if you want to or you can try vintage or however you want. But like just let yourself off the hook once you have the basics done. Like it's okay. Um, don't worry so much about what like this like – menswear blog is saying and stuff like that so 
That's it. Stick to the fundamentals. Stick to the fundamentals for a little bit. Um, if if like clothing only kind of matters for you for a like on a kind of a tertiary way. Mm-hmm. Um, like if sometimes you need to go to a job interview, you should have a suit for your job interview. If sometimes you have to go to weddings, you should have a suit. And it could be the same one. But if you're a guy that just likes dressing or uh, or needs to dress for a job, uh, you can experiment some. Don't let it's not that important. <laughs> it's does like it's not most of the time going to cost you a job or you know your career. So yeah. Uh, the carpenter example that you gave, yeah. one of the things I remember having a conversation with Logan, who was on here recently, was yeah. not making fashion choices is, like, <laughs> verb tense is correct here, but not making a choice is a, a choice. choice. And sometimes that's an awesome choice. If you're yeah. a legit carpenter with hands of granite, yeah. Don't worry about like you probably already look exactly like a carpenter with hands of granite. You're yeah. killing it. Yeah, you, you there's so many dudes that I know that aspire to look like you. So just please, Mr. Yeah, Parker. exactly. Yeah. yeah, they're they're mimicking this look, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really have appreciated you being on here. I have one final question which it. we sort of have touched on. Okay. What advice would you give your 18 or 19-year-old Jim Parker self. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Hang out with your friends more and uh, don't go home as much. Uh, <laughs> there's that one. Um, uh, let's see. What else would I want to tell him? Go to class more. <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are... Yeah. Basic the the big one. It's like one of my kind of regrets when I think about eighteen year old Jim is like I was really wrapped up in like romantic relationships, and that's kind of I guess been a theme in my life sometimes. But it's like, dude, you could, yeah, it's just go hang out with your buddies. <laughs> like it's it's okay. Uh, that's the big one. So if I ever have an eighteen year old son, that's what I'm hopefully gonna tell him. I'm like, listen, the the little high school sweetheart that you have. Um, I wish you guys the best, but it's, it's probably not going to happen, man. <laughs> the things that are mountains right now to you that are these huge, great yeah, yeah. dramas, yeah. you probably won't be thinking about you them in four years. Dude, you in 10 years, you won't remember her name. You won't like, even remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Well, if folks want to reach out to you or look at your stuff <laughs> or any, you know, any of that, do do you want to share any kind of social media or something? Sure, sure. You can find me. I, I, I'm i a little elusive on, on social media because I, I deleted some of it. But you can find me on Instagram. It's at underscore Jim Styles. So, J-I-M-S-T-Y-L-E-S. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man. This has been great. This is the return. And uh, wishing you only the best. Thanks, man. Yeah. All right. Take care. Yeah. <laughs> We're knocking coffee down here I right know. at the end. Thanks, folks. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Jim Parker. Man, it's hard to pick a favorite part of that episode, but I really, I love... So, So a lot of what we talk about at the beginning of it are just these kind of different things that he loves and how they tie to his life. But my favorite part 
was when we really started talking about the overcoming of, of, of divorce, of loss, of a life that he thought he was moving towards being fragmented like so many of us have. We all, we, we, we all likely will have that experience at some point. And his really true turning point where he started walking towards what he wanted and all the lessons that he learned of the, the necessity to suffer when you've lost something so precious and so valuable, you've got to suffer. You got to go into the ashes or maybe to take it to the metaphor that we talked about, you got to crawl through the pipes before you can stand out with the sky on your face and the rain on your hair and, and free. That's a Shawshank Redemption uh, reference. So uh, again, I really loved this. I'm, going to take a lot of lessons from it and I hope you enjoyed it this is episode 24 I I can't believe that it's been 24 weeks since since I began you know we're pushing it at half of a year at this point and for me this has always been something that I've wanted to do and it's a learning experience it's something that I still have so far so, so much to learn as to how to incorporate in this love into my very busy workaday life and how to keep making or hopefully making good interviews and, and better ones in the future. So next week I will be back with another. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I think I'm going to move the release date to Wednesday. That happened uh, the last couple of weeks, and I think new podcasts are going to come out on Wednesday now. I think that fits better. So until we meet again, I hope you're having a great week, a great day, wherever you are. I will be back next Wednesday with another conversation with an ordinary person who's living an epic life. Until then, take care.